Hello, this is Bradley Jester on the COVID Conversations with Bradley podcast. I'm here today with my guest, Mackenzie Payne. Mackenzie, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. So before I dive in, it would be helpful um, for the listeners to kind of maybe know what you do as far as your line of work. Sure. So I am a special education teacher in the Lake Washington School District. Uh, I teach in what our district calls a learning center classroom. So it is a classroom of up to eight students with what we'd consider moderate to severe disabilities who receive their primary instruction in my room and in a non-COVID era would push out into their general ed classes for as much activities as they are able to complete uh, with the support of some staffing. Most of our district is online still currently due to the pandemic, but a small percentage of students in special education, including my classroom, is in person right now. You know, the students that you work with, they may need aids, special therapies, what have you. And I was, yeah, kind of wondering beforehand, like, how would that translate to an online setting? Because I imagine that maybe some of the students that you work with maybe um, maybe our nonverbal or different issues. And, you know, I know for myself, even for myself, you know, just kind of navigating, you know, school, via this distance learning um, model has been really difficult. So I imagine, you know, if you're a student with um, kind of some extra challenges, that would seem like nearly impossible. Right. And so, Uh, In the spring when the school closure happened, um, I actually wasn't teaching, thank goodness. Um, I actually was on maternity leave, so I came back to a (laughs) pandemic-filled classroom. Um, But in the spring, everyone had to be online. That was the only option. Um, And at the time, special ed teachers were reaching out to families and just trying to see what families needed, you know, making re- making visual supports for families to use at home, sending home the communication binders that we use at school. Uh, we made extra materials of like their work and sent them home. Um, in the spring, it was just let's figure out what each family needs and do whatever we can. Um, now, what is going on is we, at least my students, um, all seven of them have the opportunity for half day instruction, four days a week at school, two and a half hours. Um, so when they're with me, I provide, I work on all their IEP goals. We have all their one-to-one staffing. Um, and then the rest of the day, they're home with their families. Um, and so my option is to try and create remote learning lessons for my students, which they likely can't access due to their disabilities, or I choose to collaborate with parents because currently the parents are providing the specially designed instruction right now. So the silver lining of this pandemic is that I've had the opportunity to spend more time collaborating with parents. Uh, We don't have students on Wednesdays to allow for some of this. So I've been working with families to help coach them through toilet training at home because a bunch of my students are not toilet trained and we work on that at school and that's not going to work remotely. (laughs) Yeah. I have students that are working on using their words to tell me that they're upset instead of hitting. 
I'm working with families to make visuals, make a break space at their home. Um, we're just doing a lot more collaborating and supporting families and thinking outside of the box. Yeah, because, um, you know, some of that, especially some of those kind of social skills, I don't think you can really learn, you know, over a Zoom call or what have you, you know, especially, you know, I mean, there's so many things, kind of minute things like eye contact and um, gestures and different things that I think you really have to be in person to kind of pick up on those and learn them. Especially for students, um, I'm trying to think, all of my students have autism. That isn't the case every year, but this year it just happens to be that way. Um, so I have students that have autism. Um, and those nuances are really challenging. They're hard in person and then they become even more challenging remotely. Uh, our physical therapist, occupational therapist, and speech therapist can't be in person. They would work with too many students and the, the risk of exposure um, and like cross-contamination, just the district has decided it's not appropriate at this time. So they're having to do remote instruction. Um, so we're sitting in our classroom with the computer and the paraeducator and then the therapist is on the other end and it's hard. Um, our students aren't interested in the computer um, or they're too interested in wanting to touch all the buttons. <laughs> um, <laughs> they are having a hard time seeing it. Um, you know, the Wi-Fi is difficult because everyone's on the internet all at once all the time. You know, Yeah, it kind of slows things down. It's a challenge. Um, it's definitely a challenge. Now, is it hard for some of the parents? Because it sounds like for four days a week, there's in-person instruction for two and a half hours. Yeah. And for the, the rest of the time, you know, the students are at home with their families and what have you. Is it hard for some of those parents to provide that, you know, out-of-class specialized education and attention? Because I imagine some of those parents, maybe they have like another job or something. Like, is it hard to, because, you know, maybe beforehand, like they're, um, children were in school for seven hours a day right but now they're only in school for two and a half hours and so you know they're probably having to juggle what like maybe their jobs and also you know making sure that their children are getting the right amount of attention and stuff so I can imagine that would be a pretty hard thing to juggle you know yeah so it's so the student a lot of my families um one parent, even without the pandemic, one parent doesn't work. Because if you have a child with, you know, moderate to severe disabilities, who struggles with transitions, um, it's a lot of appointments, different therapies. Um, if I have students where, you know, they're not going to transition into school. You can't just be two hours late to work because your kid refused to get on the bus. Yeah. So in a normal situation, I a lot of my families have one parent that doesn't work because they need to support their child. And then when their child is at school with us, that's when they get groceries done. That's when they get laundry done. Um, because a lot of this, almost all the students I work with require one-on-one -on -one staffing at all times. So yeah. you like when I work with one of my students, I can't do anything else. I struggle to take data. I I try, um, you know, I can't answer the phone. I can't check an email. I can barely write something down. Um, 
I can't leave to go to the bathroom, get a drink of water. These students need me right next to them at all times, which at school works because we give each other breaks. Um, but at home, how do you cook dinner when you have to watch your child one-on-one to make sure that they're safe? How do you go to the grocery store when your child will refuse to get in the car and they're too big for you to pick them up and put them in? Um, yeah. We're, we have some families that are really struggling. It's a really challenging time. And that's why our, you know, our whole school is just reaching out as much as we can. Um, we have, a, you know, we're helping families any way we can. We have a backpack program that we've always had in place to send home food to families in need. But now we're working on delivering it. Normally we just send it home with kids on Fridays. But if no one, if a lot of kids aren't here, we have staff that are driving and dropping food bags off to families. Um, so you, did you say that, um, all of the students that you're working with this year, um, have, um, autism? Yeah. Um, something that like, I've kind of learned about it is I think, yeah, typically, um, I don't want to make over generalizations, but it seems that people, um, on the autism or who have autism spectrum disorder sometimes have difficulties with you know, transitions and stuff. And this kind of seems like one of the biggest transitions, right? Like kind of seems like their entire, you know, world that they know is just getting up, kind of upended and moved all around. So has that been really difficult for them to kind of cope with? It's definitely been hard. So a lot of students, not everyone, but typically a lot of students with autism really thrive on structure, routines, consistency which at school is easy, right? Like every day math is at the same time. Every day recess is at the same time. Lunch is at the same time. I have a visual schedule on the board. You know, if there's something like an assembly, I know ahead of time. It's really easy to be structured and routine. Where we're really struggling right now is it's hard at home. I I know this with my own family. Uh, I have a how old is he? A nine-month-old now. And during the week, like our morning routine is easy because we do it the same every morning, no problem. On the weekends, it's hard to have a schedule and a routine because we're visiting family, having people over for dinner. The only people come over is my parents, but <laughs> eventually there'll be more people. I'm sure of it. <laughs> but yeah. That's hard. And so our families are really struggling on the weekends, in the evenings because we have such a high level of structure at school, it's unrealistic to expect it to be that structured at home. Special that I love because it's individualized. My classroom is really individualized. There, I don't have a curriculum that I use with all seven students. Each kid literally has their entire day and program and schedule designed to fit their needs. Like in theory, there's a schedule on my wall. Is it followed by every student? Nope. Because this kid needs to run around on the playground four times a day for 10 minutes to get his energy out. This other kid needs to have three snacks because we're working on feeding. This other student needs bathroom breaks every half hour because we're working on toileting. What I love about my room is that it's so individualized. And, you know, getting back to the pandemic, I couldn't. I couldn't do what my students need online. Um, And I actually personally am very grateful that I get to be in person 
because my mental health is a thousand times better now that I'm back at work. I was, I started this pandemic. Everyone, my principal got a puppy for COVID because apparently that's a good idea. Everyone got puppies. She always, she goes, yeah, my family got a new puppy. See, she goes, everyone got COVID puppies. You got a COVID baby. I said, I don't want a COVID baby. I just want a regular baby. Right? <laughs> like, it's hard. And so I, it's already hard having a baby that's very new, like feeling like you can't go anywhere or do anything. Um, you, of course, love them to pieces, but like you have no sleep and you can't go out. And then with the pandemic, it's become, it was really challenging because even if I did get to a place where like I was dressed and he was dressed and everybody was fed and the diaper bag was packed couldn't go anywhere anyway. We could walk around the neighborhood. And so I'm really grateful that I can go back to work because it was hard being home all day. It was really hard. So I'm actually very grateful that I get to be in person. And I know, I mean, I can't speak for all my coworkers, but I think the general feeling in my school is people are very grateful. I mean, I guess the staff that are choosing to be in person are very grateful to be there. We had to do some shuffling around. There were some staff that could not be in person due to, you know, their own medical reasons or would prefer not to. So we had to shuffle our staff around a little bit to accommodate that. But at least in our building, people are really happy to be there because it it means they can get out of the house. So, well, first of all, so you said you have a new, like, newborn baby. Is that, has that been stressful? at all because you know you're showing up to work in person um has that been kind of stressful having the baby at home knowing like I guess with that added layer of like the pandemic and stuff so you would think so but I have so much PPE on at work that I feel like I have a KN95 mask I have gloves I have a face shield and I have a gown. So I literally wear the same amount of PPE that the nurse who did my son's COVID test did. She walks in and I said, oh, I wear the same thing. What do you do? I teach. So I actually feel very, very protected. Um, We have really strict procedures. We have kids come in the door one kid at a time. We take their temperature. If there's any symptoms, they have to go home. The district's got some really good policies. They're following the health department and CDC's guidelines. So I feel really safe. Um, but my son goes to daycare and he loves daycare more than life itself. I drop him off and he does not care that I leave, which is good. Like I had to get over that, but it's good. But he's in daycare. Infants don't wear masks. Toddlers do not wear masks. You don't socially distance babies like, with, you know, so at daycare, of course, all the staff wear masks, of course, and there's hand sanitizer um, and all the families wear masks when dropping off. But the biggest risk health wise is actually my son going to daycare. Um, and that's something my husband, I definitely, we struggled with. Yeah. Cause I imagine, um, you know, maybe your son could get it and then pass yeah. it on to you guys. Um, yeah, and it, it was a decision we had to talk about. We had to decide, was I going to take, like, I make less than him. I'm a teacher, right? And he works at Microsoft. Um, so, you know, do we decide to have me take a year off of work 
and stay home with him and then give up our spot for daycare. You probably don't know this, but like daycares, like the daycare he's in, the only reason we got into it is because of COVID and a bunch of people pulled their kids out. Daycares have like three-year waiting lists. Like I put him on the wait list before he was born and he wasn't supposed to get in for another two years. So like pulling him from daycare would have been significant. Yeah, I can't even just to learn one good information well, to tuck away in my mind. Yeah, really. So we had to, it was a decision that we had to make. And I actually, my friend who's also a teacher, she taught kindergarten last year, which is kindergarten and special ed are very similar, which is why we became friends. <laughs> but she decided to take this year off. She decided partly because of the pandemic, um, partly because she wanted to stay home. It was a better fit for her family to stay home. Um, Whereas I think for me, it was a, I mean, financially it made more sense to go to work, but also I think mental health wise, I wanted to be able to be out of the house. Yeah. I mean, I'm just yearning and just craving for the day when I can get out too. Cause I think for me, um, yeah, it's been really difficult. Um, yeah, I'm somebody who I would, you know, I'm a bit more extroverted and, you know, I feel energized when I'm in the company of other people. And so just being by myself all the time, I don't know. It just, nope. I, I think, I think life when, you know, you're at home so much of the time and, you know, you're focusing on your online classes and what have you, but, you know, when you don't have that face-to-face interaction, I'm, everything just feels a bit more serious, if that makes sense. Like, um, that's interesting that you say that. And the reason I think for me it's different is, so we've had a bunch of, not Zoom, I guess they're Teams because it's through Microsoft. We have a bunch of Teams meetings, right? For all, uh-huh. like all my meetings are on Teams. Even though I'm in person, everybody else is on Teams. I actually feel like, uh, particularly our, like our, um, like my special ed director for our learning community, actually our district special ed community director, I feel like it's more casual and lighthearted and jokey because they're all in their homes. Like, you know, our special ed director is sitting there with like her cat or like, I have my dog next to me. Like, you know, yeah. this two-year-old's running around. Like it actually, it's, it's been a weird opportunity to sort of see a window into like my supervisor's lives. And I almost feel like closer to them. Cause like they're in their, you know, kitchen. It has been cool. Kind of seeing like a window, kind of having that portal into other people's lives because I mean I guess it's a bit intrusive but I mean for example some of your classmates like I mean some of those kids you might never I don't know meet with outside of class and stuff and here you're seeing seeing them in their home setting and yeah it's a bit intrusive but I'm trying to think of it I'm always trying to find the positive here because it's going to be a rough winter if we don't but I'm trying to think it as, you know, it's an opportunity for me to see what's going on at home. So I was, I, I talked to the parent this morning and I asked them, I said, is it okay if, you know, on Wednesday when I don't have kids, if we set up a video call so that I can sort of see what your setup is at home, figure out how I can help. Um, so I think there's, I think there's some, there's some positives to it. Um, but I also think, I think we're seeing some things about our, some of our families that we. Um, we sort of suspected was true. And then we're, we're realizing, um, yeah, 
you know, one of my students has uh, an older sibling in a different class um, and that teacher is, you know, realizing how hard it is for her student to get things done because her sister has, you know, some special needs. Um, and I think, I think teachers are seeing, seeing the hard stuff that's going on at home. Um, yeah. And I think it's, it's not good that these things are happening, but I think it's good that teachers are seeing it because that way we can help. We can, you know, band together, find those services. I feel like I'm reaching out so much more to outside agencies to help families get support outside of school. Cause I know I can only, I I could personally can only do so much. So I I've been utilizing more outside agencies um, which unfortunately are currently mostly remote, which is um, challenging, but. Yeah. So an une- unexpected positive or. Yeah. I think we can spin it as a positive. I think. We got to find a positive. I found the study by. um. I think it was the Boston consulting group. And I think they found that 15 or 16 million children in the U S live in homes without adequate internet connection or devices that they can use to um, access remote learning. And so I know your students are primarily meeting in person, but I guess at a district level, has that been hard for the district? Um, Because I imagine if, you know, you have, you're having these students who don't have internet connection or devices to, um, you know, access, you know, instruction. This was probably something that they didn't um, really, you know, think of before the spring, right? You know, they probably didn't plan for the, plan for this in like their budget, for example. And so now like maybe you're having to buy, you know, tablets. So, you know, students can access, you know, information or what have you. My principal said, what budget? We're just like charging things and like, we're going to figure out how to pay for it later. I will say, I don't know about the internet. I, oh, Henry's awake. I think that, I think, I don't think the district is providing internet, but I think that there are a lot of other community resources that are providing free internet or low cost internet. So I don't know about the internet portion just cause, uh-huh. but um, every student in our district is sent home with a device right now. Oh, wow. Unless they choose to decline it. Where they're all even, coming from, I don't even know. I just now, can't of course, even... they're not going to be, like, the best, you know, like, they don't, they're not the best, but literally every device we could find. I mean, we do, so Lake Washington School District takes in um, Microsoft, um, like, it's because Redmond's included in our district. Um, uh-huh. So there, we've always had a lot of technology. Um, and so I know from, I want to say fifth grade on, but I don't quote me on that one. Cause I'm not sure. I know in middle school and high school, students already have their own computers, like provided by the district one-to-one each kid gets their own mm-hmm. um, in elementary school, like kindergartners don't have one-to-one. I think the ratio is like one to three. So if you have, you know, not, you know one computer is shared between three kindergartners because you wouldn't have a classroom of kindergartners all on the computer at the same time. 
So yeah. I know the district has had a lot of devices, um, but now every kid was sent home with one unless parents decline. And then they've had to set up additional systems for how we repair devices, trade devices out when they don't work. Um, I, you know, in her office, when I walk in, there's now bins laid out of like technology that's going out to families that's been fixed, technology that's coming in that needs to be worked on. Um, you know, there's a there's another table that has workbooks that need to go out to families because we we've been doing um drive-through drop-offs and pickups um Uh it's been once a month um for different like materials because we realize that you can't use technology for everything like our kindergarten students are not used to using computers we want some manipulative so our school sent home a lot of physical manipulatives to support the remote learning. Yeah, I can't even imagine like, you know, being like a little kindergartner and having to um you know. Yeah, I just I don't know. Hard. Think something that this pandemic has shown um kind of in all sorts of areas is I think it's kind of putting a spotlight on yeah, maybe people that um and this isn't just schooling too. This is all sorts of things. Like I just had an interview with um, a healthcare worker and I was thinking about how, you know, this pandemic, um, you know, nobody's invincible. Like any person, you know, even our president, you know, got this. So anybody can get this virus. Um, but you look at the numbers and it seems like at just disproportionately higher rates, you know, people of color are dying of this, um, it's so important of of this virus. And so I, I mentioned that because, you know, I think this pandemic has kind of highlighted, um, or just kind of shown up, um, what's the word? Um, yeah, just kind of highlighted just some of the kind of issues that were already there, but I think this pandemic is just making them even more apparent. And so, Yeah, I think with, um, I do, I guess I do just, I don't know if this is a question more, this more of a statement, but I do kind of worry about, um, you know, maybe the, some of the students that I don't want to say fall, you know, kind of between the cracks, but maybe yeah, kind of need some extra attention and stuff for extra help, you know, like your, you know, English learners or, yeah. you know students with IEPs or what have you. Um, yeah. I do kind of worry because, you know, I think, he, I, I just worry that, you know, that achievement gap, if you want to call that, might widen. Because I mean, something that I was um, just thinking about, I, I remember I read this, so I read this article earlier, t- I guess not earlier today, I guess it was yesterday, um, read this article and it was, kind of fascinating because they were talking about um so some parents and I I kind of infer that it was probably predominantly you know maybe white wealthy families but some parents were kind of pulling their kids from online learning and having them do like separate learning pods and maybe getting separate tutors and what have you and for one I know I think and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the way that schools operate is they run off of, um, um, 
I think a lot of is a lot of it. The funding has to do with um, um, with, enrolled. But I think it has to do with also like property taxes and kind of the likes of that, right? Um, Yeah. And so you know, this you might be like, well, how does this affect other students? But um, if these wealthier families are pulling their you know, well, I guess I don't even know if it necessarily matters that they're wealthy, but if these families are pulling their kids from school, I'm sure the district, you know, maybe is receiving less funding, for example. And I think they, I think they do. Um, I think they do. Uh, I think they lose less. I think they lose funding. Um, I think that I, I had a, I had a friend uh, who was, okay, like they're, their child is doing very well in school, very smart, you know, high achieving. And my friend was very concerned that their student was going to be behind. And all I could say was behind compared to who, like everybody's out of school. Like everybody, you know, I'm not worried about, I'm not worried about the kid. I mean, we should work, but we should be careful and concerned about all of our students our focus needs to be those students who can't access their education right now. We have a, we have a daycare at our school right now. Um, in addition to our in-person, um, and it's not through the district. It's simply, you know, in our building. Um, and you have to pay for daycare. So families that can afford it, and that can send their kids to daycare. There's staff at daycare that can help facilitate the online learning because everyone's got their computers, they're all spaced out. But that doesn't help the single mom who has two kids and can't afford it. Yeah. That, that doesn't help the... It doesn't... I mean, it's good. We need, we need child care. But we also need child care for families that can't afford it. Um, We need more support for our English language learners um, and their families. Um, Little things. So we have a paperwork that has to go home and is signed every day for students in person. Um, It's parents attesting that their child hasn't experienced any COVID symptoms. Mm -hmm. Um, It was written in English. I have a family where English is not their primary language. Now, so like I will how say- can they access, well, it's right, like how so can the, they access that information, you know? Luckily I the think, district got it to me in their language. It took a little bit, but they did get it to me. But, you know, that was one document that, that they got translated. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's harder. Um, so I, I'm, I, just like you, I'm very concerned that this is going to further increase this gap. So our school um, has worked really hard in the past to reach out to our English language learners and their families. Normally we do a back to school barbecue instead of a traditional curriculum night because we know that if we have food and if it is inexpensive, it's easier for families to come. They don't have to pay for childcare because the kids can come too. We do it late enough when most families are out of work. Like we really kind of bend over backwards to 
try and get families there. This year we had to have our curriculum night online. Uh, I think our ELL teacher told me that I don't think a single one of her ELL students logged on or their families for curriculum night. Not a single one. And that's hard that we're not getting to these families. Well, yeah, I, sorry, I had like kind of a random thought that I just wanted to share. This is kind of a, that was an important point too. I just don't want to lose my thought, but I was just thinking, yeah, no, because I just, I think that this pandemic, um, you know, I think people like to talk about, you know, like systems in place. And I think it's a really real thing, you know, you know, I don't think it's a coincidence. It's that, you know, people of color, for example, are dying at disproportionately higher rates. I don't think it's a coincidence that, you know, some of these students are falling between the cracks, you know, I think um, the way that things are set up, you know, I think there could be just better ways of handling things. I mean, I know what we're talking about schools. Yeah, I really do think, I mean, I'm no, ex. don't quote me on this, but I really do think, you know, it has to do with like property taxes and, you know, districts where wealthy affluent families live, of course they're, you know, their districts are going to be well-funded and they're going to have, you know, probably like top-notch teachers that want to work there because they can probably get better salaries and, you know, they have, you know, access to, you know, maybe their arts and, you know, um, because for example, I feel like, you know, like the arts and maybe like, I don't know. Like, sorry. I was going to say like science, but like, you know, something. provides a lot of that stuff. So if you have a PTA in a wealthy neighborhood, the families in that community have the money to donate to the school. So you can pay for the art teacher to come in after school and you can pay for a kiln. You can play for field trips. You're completely right that this, this gap is caused by this. I know Seattle public schools at one point tried when I was a kid, they tried to not have neighborhood schools. Uh-huh. Um, and well-intentioned of course, but what they ended up finding is that like nobody wanted to go outside of their neighborhood because no one wanted to have their kid on the bus for an hour to like bust up to a different like families in South Seattle didn't want to be bused all the way up to a school in the north end of Seattle and people in the north end of Seattle didn't want to be bused down to the south end of Seattle like I think people ended up sort of still staying in their same neighborhoods even when they were kind of given the choice um mm-hmm. I we have to find some other ways of getting through this gap. I mean, we, I think people have realized that when schools have closed so much more than just reading and writing and math stopped. I think, I think schools provide a lot more than people previously realized. Um, yeah. Nutrition services, childcare. Um, our district now has a full-time school counselor at each school. Um, you know, we send food. Um, support families. I think that this pandemic is highlighting how much schools do and how much 
we still need more support. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, definitely. Um, yeah, I think it just makes me sad because I just think that the, um, the system that we've drawn up, you know, um, it would be nice to think that, you know, every student that, you know, goes through like public schools would maybe not have like the same education, but a similar quality of education. But um, just, I mean, you look at, just you can compare two different districts and the quality of education could be vastly different. And I don't know, I just think that it kind of um, feeds into a cycle, you know, if you maybe go to a district and don't get the best quality of education, you know, I think it just perpetuates things. And I think that, um, you know, you look at, I think one of the biggest things is, you know, if you're, you know, if you're well-educated, right, you know, it's... Every door opens to you if you have an education. Yeah, and that's, you know, you talk about upwards mobility, you know, like, if you want to um, kind of break this generational cycle, you know, and have, you know, maybe families that, you know, are impoverished, aren't in the best situations, but, you know, if you can kind of lift those, you know, kids up and I think you can kind of start to break that cycle, you know, but I think so much of the time, I don't know, I just feel like you see it where it's like, you know, if you start out in a wealthy family, you know, you know, have been dealt like better cards, you know, you're probably, there's probably a good chance that you're going to grow up to be, you know, have a bit of money. And if you don't have money, well, not to say that you can't rise up above that, but you know, you've been dealt a more challenging hand and, you know, you have to overcome a lot more. Um, that's something that I don't like about America. They're just like, Oh, if, you know, if you just work hard, you know, you can achieve, you know, you know, these people, if they're poor, you know, it's cause they're lazy and they just want their handouts or whatever. And it's like, sure. no, it's like, if you had, um, if you grew up in that same situation, like, are you really telling me like, I, I mean, maybe things would be different, but I don't know. Like, I just think that, um, it's, I, I think people just, yeah, I need to kind of think bigger picture and stuff. Um, but yeah, I wish there was m- more being done to, um, I think equality is not the, like equity, I think is the right word. Because yeah, you know, it's, hard to, it's hard to do because a couple of years ago, I worked at two schools. Um, before I was full-time at this school, I was doing mornings at one school and then afternoons at a school, literally two minutes down the road. Okay. Two uh-huh. minutes away. Um, but one school took in uh, the boundary, like for the, who went there, took in the low income housing complex and the other school took in a wealthy neighborhood where most of the families worked, you know, like at Microsoft, the schools were in the same district and they were night and day because one school was considered a title one school. I think, I don't remember how many kids, you know, 80 to 90% of students were on free and reduced lunch. Um, you know, families that are working two or three jobs, um, that school's not going to have a PTA 
that can fund enrichment activities. That school's not going to have um, as much benefits. You know, even though they're in the same district, geographically, they're literally minutes away, but what feels like worlds, what feels like worlds apart. And I don't, I don't know how to fix it. I wish. The only thing I can do is like for me right now, I, I can do the very best for my students. I don't know how to fix it on a bigger scale. I, I don't know.